You are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about the church, you can reach us at www.bethelassembly.info. Guys, we're going to be looking tonight, in our, and we're going to continue in our, our series called Origin. We're looking, I get the privilege of preaching Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. And we're going to stop at 1 through 9, because 10 through the rest of the chapter, there, this is a, uh, it's really two different, two different, it's the same person as Abram, and if I call him Abraham, forgive me, because God hasn't changed his name yet, and, but he's called Abraham through the rest of the Bible, but it's Abram, but, but it's two different narratives. So in, in 10 through 11, or not 10 through 11, 10 through the rest of the chapter, it's him in Egypt. And I'll give you a breakdown of what goes down. But basically, he goes down to Egypt because there's a famine in the land. And he tells his wife, Sarai, because her name hasn't changed to Sarah yet. He says, tell everyone you're my sister. Because if they know that you're my wife, they're going to kill me. Now, I grew up in Arkansas. And I married way outside my league. Clearly, Abraham married outside of his league, way outside of his league, because if he's afraid that people are going to kill him based on how good-looking his wife is, they're going to be like, you? Her? Really? You know, that happens to me all the time. And so um, I, I married outside my league, and I grew up in Arkansas, but not once have I ever told Amy, Amy, when we go into Walmart, tell everyone, you're my sister. I, I've never had that inclination, so uh, I don't know what he was thinking. Maybe he didn't have the stigma that it does now, but uh, he he does that, and and the Pharaoh ends up taking Sarah into his household. The whole Pharaoh's household gets sick because God's not pleased with the whole situation because Sarah is another man's wife, but Abraham's getting loaded because people are just giving him money and stuff, and then suddenly they discover that Sarah is Abraham's wife, and and then uh, the Pharaoh's like, take your wife back. I'm sick of being sick. And uh, he gets to leave Egypt loaded, more loaded than when he came in. And so basically, guys, don't tell people that your, your wife is your sister. And don't try to make her live with the other man. God won't be happy with you. And, uh, but since we're not in eastern Kentucky or West Virginia or Arkansas, we're going to focus tonight on Genesis chapter 12, you guys are from western Kentucky, okay? <laughs> a mind. We're going to focus on Genesis 1 through 12, or 1 through 9. Guys, this is an amazing story. And this is a very profound story. And this story right here launches the story of our redemption. I don't know if you knew that, but this is really the story that launches it. So let's throw it up here and we're going to read it. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old 
when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran and set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived um, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah. This almost sounds like I'm reading Lord of the Rings. The site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord there, who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now, if I mispronounced any of those, I'm sure I did, but my, I, have a, I have a motto about biblical words and names. You say them loud and say them proud, and no one knows the difference. So um, that's my seminary training coming through. So guys, there is something very small here. And sometimes when we read this narrative, there, there's a lot there. There's nine verses, but there's something right at the beginning that I want us to focus on. And we're going to break down Abram's response, but it's very profound. Now, just because it's little doesn't mean it can't be profound. The other day, I went to Walmart, and I, it was late. Amy was calling me like, hey, I'm putting the kids to bed, so when you come in... Um, and the kids will be asleep, or they're going to be in bed anyway. So I'm like, all right. So I walk in, and I bought Amy flowers. Now, Walmart flowers, and it don't say all yet. I mean, they're 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 cheap. They're they're cheap. I'm, I'm not I'm not. It's a thought that counts. Okay, don't judge me. Um, but you know, five dollar flowers, they would have lasted longer if I hadn't have put them in the water. That that's how cheap they were. And. Uh, but I got her flowers, and I walked in, and right before I, I walked through the house, I pulled out, like, one strand that had, like, three flowers on it. I kind of put it behind, and so I walked into the room, and Sky was laying there talking to Amy. I could hear him talking, and she looks up, and she goes, oh, Daddy, you bought Mommy flowers. Yay! And um, I said, and? And I pulled out the little strand, which I didn't actually buy her. But I said, but I got you flowers, too. And she went, oh! And then she ran, jump, jumped off the bed. She was like, boom. And she like took off, grabbed my flowers. I'm like, man, these flowers are not going to last tonight. She's running around. I love them. I love them. Oh, daddy. And she's like, dude, I've never gotten so much hugs in my life just by giving her. And so it was simple, cheap flowers. But man, it was so profound. Little tiny, little tiny thing. Three flowers on a stem. And I was so proud of her. We, we put Amy's flowers in a vase. And I said, Sky, you want to put your flowers in with mommy so they don't die? She goes, No, they need their own vase. So we got another vase out, and she did not want her she didn't want that vase. So I was like, Well, those are, you know, it, Sky. And so I opened up and I had a tall movie movie theater cup. And she goes, I want that. And it was a Superman Man of Steel movie theater cup. I was like, train up a child in the way they should go. She loves Superman. That's what I'm saying. So, so simple yet profound. We start out the scripture, and there's this simple yet profound statement. God says go. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here, but I do know that there are four types of sentences. And 
I took the very minimum requirement for my bachelor's degree in college in English. I did not go off and take extra English. I'm sure you guys can tell, like, well, he's already had, like, four grammar mistakes just in his speech. But um, I, I know that there's a declarative sentence that ends in a period, period. I know that there's an imperative sentence that ends in a period. I know that there's an interrogative sentence that ends in a question mark. And I know there's an exclamatory sentence that ends in an exclamation point. Now, I'm no expert, but I'm pretty sure that a toddler's two most common sentences they use are the interrogative and the exclamation. There, there, there is, there's really no in between. Sometimes you can have a normal conversation, but my wife, or not my wife, but my daughter, she likes to ask this question, why, 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 why? And so that, that would be an example of an interrogative, a question. And then, I know this is really breaking new ground, guys. You're like, whoa, this is amazing, profound stuff. And then there's the, uh, there's the declarative, like, hi. Hi, period. Just de- I'm declaring hi. And then there's exclamatory, hi! Has a little excitement behind it. And then, then there is the imperative, go. Because the imperative is a command. Because it's the shortest, it, it, I mean, the U is implied. Go is technically the shortest sentence in the English language. Because the U is implied before, so it's you go. Technically, that's how you should receive it when you hear someone say go. So, Guys, there is a command here given. God says go. Did you know according Did you know according to Oh man, I just went blank on her name. She has a huge ministry in St. Louis. Joyce Myers, thank you. I knew someone would know it. According to Joyce Myers, there are 1,542 goes in the Bible. Now, I'm going to trust that source because I didn't want to take the time to count them. So, uh, But I kept on doing research to find and Googling and doing different things to find out how many goes there were in the Bible. And God issues a go approximately 1,542 times. And he only says stay 62 times in the Bible. Now, when I was in college... I took this class, Herm 1 and Herm 2. It's hermeneutics. It's how to read the Bible. And one of the things they teach us, if you see something repeating in a narrative or in the Bible, you should pay attention to it. And so when, when we're reading and you see something like that, if God says go that many times, we need to pay attention to why he's saying go, what he's saying go about. So I want to give you four thoughts tonight to understand about God's go. Because God's go is important. The first thing we need to understand is God's go is command. Now, I'm not sure about this, but I know a lot of people in the military, and if a commanding officer would walk up to you and give you a command, is it optional? No, it's not. But yet, 
we teach, we, we, sometimes we treat the commands of God as optional things. We, we follow some really well. The Ten Commandments were like, well, um, I don't murder anybody. I'm not going to, I'm going to follow that one. I'm, I try to be honest. I'm not going to lie. I don't steal. Um, we, we, we treat some of God's commands like I'm definitely going to follow that. But then the, 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 the ones that we think have a gray area around them, we're like, ah, oh, it's a little murky. Like honor your mom and dad. <laughs> well, like, yeah, like I need to do that. But I mean, it's, you don't know how they treated me. It doesn't matter. The Bible says honor your parents, you know, or, or have no other idols before me. Well, I don't like go and carve an idol, but how many empty idols do we chase in our life? You know, um, how many things do we let take the, the, the throne of God? There, there are things that we, that we, we, put a gray area around and say, well, that's not really a command, God. That's a, that's an option. Like I might go, but that's not what God says. God's command is a, you go to Abram here. He tells him to go from your father's house. He gives a command. Abram, I want you to understand the, the implication and, and the, the, the gra- gravitas of what's going on here. If Abram would have ignored God's command to leave his father's house, he would not only would not have became a great nation, but we would not have a savior. You understand, when God issues a go, he has a long view for his command. We see the immediate in front of us. God's saying, I'm going to bless the world through you. And he blessed the world through Abram by the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But if Abram would have ignored the command of God to go, the initial thing to leave his father's house, we would be saviorless, we would be hopeless, and we would be trying to earn our way to heaven Instead, he obeyed the go, he obeyed the command, and now we don't have to earn our way to heaven because Jesus earned it for us. All we have to do is place faith in him. You might say, well, I haven't been issued a go. Yes, you have. And we'll get to that later. But think about this. God's goes might not always have the two-letter word of go in it. He might say, Pray with that person. He might say, go talk with them. Go tell them. Sometimes it does have. It's hard to say a sentence without going it when it's a command. He might say, just go encourage them over there. It, it might just be, hey, write a letter and send it and say you forgive someone. You don't know the implications of God's go. I can tell you this. Your obedience to God's command can either condemn someone for eternity or change their eternity. Not because you're saving them, but because there's a reason why God's telling you. There's a reason why God's telling you. You might condemn them and generations to come in their life, in their, in their family. Their, kids that are, their, their grandkids that aren't even born because you disobeyed. Like, well, Pastor Ryan, you don't know that will happen for sure. I do know that um, there's a higher probability that it won't happen if you obey. 
if we disobey, how many people are we condemning by our disobedience? Man, that's heavy. This is stuff that we got to think about when God tells us to do something. Do we ignore it? Go pray with that person. I can't do that, God. I don't know him. Does that matter? When eternity is at stake? Go tell that person I love them. Imagine with me, though. Let's look at the flip side because that's depressing. Imagine with me if you say, okay, God, anyone, anywhere, any place. You have that attitude. I wake up, anyone, anywhere, any place. I go to bed, anyone, anywhere, any place. And God says, go pray for him. I'm going to go pray for him. Hey, man, I don't know you, but, dude, I just feel like I need to pray for you. And you pray for him, and they give their life to the Lord. And guess what? Dude, you don't know the impact that that might make on their family for generations. Dude, God has a long view for the goes that he gives us. We need to look past the immediate problem and the immediate awkwardness and just own the go of God. The other day, I took T.J. Johnson and, and Cody Johnson to Lowe's with me. I'm constantly at Lowe's buying stuff for the church. And I was standing there talking with them. We went to a couple stores that day, and we had to buy one can of spray paint. And we're talking, and the... And since I'm always at Lowe's, I always go through certain checkouts. I have to go to a person. I can't use self-checkout because I'm, we're tax-exempt with the church. So I have to go to a person that enters stuff. Well, since I always go during, like, a certain time frame after lunch, I usually have the same cashier. I think her name's uh, Chris, Christina or Catherine. It's one of the two. It starts with the K. And, I'm all, and she looks like she's just, like, fresh out of high school or, like, senior year of high school. And, of course, the older I get, the younger everyone looks. It's, it's crazy how that works. But um, I, I've talked to her several times, and then we're checking out with this can of paint, and she's really nice and everything. And that day, in particular, I just felt in my spirit, the Holy Spirit said, invite her to church. And I'm like, we're almost, I'm signing the receipt. We're walking out the door, God. You could have told me that five minutes ago. You know, like, I'm like, what do, what do I do? And the boys are already walking out. I'm like, so I just followed them. I walked all the way out to the church van. We loaded up. I started the engine. I said, guys, I have to go back in there. I said, just stay here. And I walked back in, and then there was a line. And I was like, man. So I'm like, I'm not going to stand in line and not buy anything. So I got a couple Gatorades for TJ and Cody, and I'm like, man, if I would have just listened to God the first time, it would have saved me money. Um, but I'm standing there, and I'm waiting in line. And what's creepy about this whole thing, and you know how Satan is like throws every thought in your head. He, he tries to get you to disobey God. He, he, like, he works against you. He's like, there's four empty self-checkouts. You're not using the church card. This is not tax-exempt. Why aren't you checking out? You're waiting in a line to talk to a girl. You have a ring on. I'm like, ah, this is awkward. I'm like, God, I'm going to obey you. I rebuke these thoughts right now in the name of Jesus. I rebuke every thought, pretension, the sense of love against your knowledge. God, I'm just, I'm praying this in my head. I think it was in my head. But I finally get up to her, and I was like, so, she's like, is this tax exempt again? I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not. I said, but, you know, I said, I got to be honest. Are you in high school? She's like, no, I just moved here. 
I said, do you go to church anywhere? He's like, no, I just moved here. <laughs> I haven't found a church. I'm like, well, I got to be honest. I feel like God wanted me to invite you into church. And he didn't tell me to, to like, share the gospel with her. I just, like, felt the invite to church. I'm, I'm, I'm not one to shy away from sharing the gospel. TJ's lunch table at the high school this last year called me Jesus Man. Because if I walked up, they were going to hear about Jesus. And I wear that proudly because I don't care. So I was like, well, I just want to invite you to Bethel Assembly. I just really feel like, and she's like, well, I just moved here. I'm going to State Fair. I'm a freshman. I'm like, dude, we have an awesome young adults program. So I gave, them all our, I gave her all our church information. I did not see her today. But that doesn't mean that she won't come. Sometimes we don't get to see the benefits of God's go, but we, that doesn't negate the fact that God's go is a command. It's not optional. It's not optional. Abram did not see his heirs become a great nation. He saw two sons born, one son of the promise and one not. And that was all he left on this earth. But God still fulfilled his promise because Abraham obeyed the go of God. Now, the second thing that I want us to hit on tonight is God's go takes faith to obey. This is huge. And I'm going to look at a scripture here. The, the, longer, I, the longer I live with Jesus the more I understand that faith is an intricate part of this relationship. Because when we first come to Christ, he gives us faith to believe. The Bible says each person is issued faith that they might believe. And it says that in Romans. So, so we have this initial faith to believe, this, this saving faith in God. But as we serve God, he grows that faith to do more things for his kingdom. And it takes faith to believe. So I want to look at Hebrews 11. This is a great faith chapter of the Bible, 8 through 12. It talks about Abram. I think it's in there. By faith, Abram, when called to go to a place he later um, would receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. There, There wasn't... There wasn't like this delay. There wasn't this hesitation. I love both here in Hebrews and in Genesis. It it just shows that. It says God said go, and he went. There wasn't regret. There wasn't dragging his feet. There was joy. There was obedience. There there was peace. There There was Abraham walking in what God had for him. And it says that Abraham obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. That takes faith. Man, my dad is awesome. He is my hero. But he, if he knows where he's going, he will still turn his GPS on. And there's nothing against that. I mean, he has the technology, might as well use it. I think he likes the ETA. But he's, you know, some of it is driven hundreds of times. He knows that it takes 35 minutes. But he still uses it. More power to him. Abram didn't have GPS. He had well, God positioning satellite, I guess. But by faith, he went, even though he did not know where he's going. God said, go. 
I'm like, all right, God, I left my father's house. I've lived there a while. I'm 75 years old. Um, don't do that. Don't be that. But he got married. Sarah's still married out of his league, and she still stayed with him. It's crazy. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, which is his son and grandson, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with its foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children. Because she was considered faithful, she considered faithful him who made the promise. And so, from this one man, and he was as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashores. I want you to understand this. Abraham was 75 when he received the promise and when he received his first go. And God said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Now, that would be promising if you had 30 sons. He did not. He did not have any heirs. Now, I would say 75 is past the childbearing years. His wife was approximately 65. Now, I am 30, and my wife has told me that we are past the childbearing years. After our son was born. So... He is more than double my age, and he has no reason to believe God except it's God that made the promise. If anyone else said to him this, that would be ludicrous. But here we see Abram steps out in faith. Do you know it was 25 years before he had Isaac? 25 years. Now, If you do the math, 75 plus 25 is approximately 100, you see. I did that in my head. Actually, I wrote it down earlier so I wouldn't forget. But, and Sarah was approximately 90. They waited 25 years for the initial part of the promise to start. By faith. That is huge. Now, I want to look at something real quick. I'm going to look at the Greek definition. And uh, I can't say it in Greek because it's Greek to me. But I'm going to say it in English. It's pistis. And believe me, I listened to it like 10 or 15 times because I wanted to make sure that I said it right. It's pistis. Faith. Belief. Trust. Generally of the leaning of the entire human personality upon God or the Messiah in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. So the Greek word used here in the book of Hebrews is pistis. It's when it says, by faith, Abraham. That is that word. So when the original audience was reading this, they would understand that by faith, Abraham leaned his entire personality upon God. So I want to give us a visual of what this might look like. So if you could throw that picture up real quick. That is my daughter, not looking very happy, because this this idea came to me at nap time today, and she did not want to be on her daddy. But at home, 
when I get down on the floor and I'm wrestling with her, she crawls on my back just like this. And she leans on me, and I don't grab her, and, and she helps me do push-ups like that. She, like, when I'm doing push-ups, she'll get on my back, and um, she weighs like 35 pounds, and she's not getting any lighter. And so this is her, like, normal grab daddy, take him down, um, get on daddy pose. This is how she, she is on me. When, if we walk through the park, I don't even put my hand back there. I just lean forward, and she's leaning on me. So if we want to walk by faith, Sometimes we get this idea that we walk hand in hand with God. Now, there's nothing wrong with walking hand in hand. Um, I rather enjoy holding my wife's hand. I rather enjoy walking hand in hand with my daughter. But the problem with walking hand in hand is both people are walking. And that means if Sky sees a squirrel, I'm like, no, Sky, this way. We're not going towards the road. Come on. Or if Amy sees something she wants to do, like shop, I'm like, no, okay. And I go sit down. But um, there's nothing wrong with walking hand in hand, but that means we have traction on the ground. That means we could kind of tug, well, God, I don't know about this. I'm living in a house. My dad's paying the rent. And now you want me to go to a foreign land and live in the tents? Like, that's not faith. If we want to walk by faith, the Greek word there, pistis, means leaning. When she's on my back, she goes where I go. When she's on my back, she does what I do. And she doesn't get an option because she's leaning on me. When we're leaning on God, we got to have the attitude, I go where you go, God. I do what you do. I say what you say. I pray what you pray. That's what it means to walk by faith. Because we're not the ones walking. We're the ones leaning. And God's walking. It takes faith. I was going to do this pose with Pastor Andy, but I don't think he could hold me. Um, But we got to walk by faith, by leaning on God. I know that sounds paradoxical, but it says leaning of the entire human personality upon God or the Messiah in absolute trust and confidence in his power and his wisdom and his goodness when we walk side by side with him and we start tugging for our own direction we're saying god i don't exactly trust your goodness i don't exactly trust your power i don't exactly trust your love i don't exactly trust your wisdom but when we lean on god like that We're saying, God, I fully trust you, that you're not going to let me down, that you're going to have my back, that you're going to walk where I need to go, and that you're going to do, you're going to lead me to what I need to do. The last thing I want to look at here is Romans 4, 18 through 21, is another great scripture from Abram. It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, like there's people that will, I talked about this, I don't know, probably three, four months ago, this scripture. And there's people that walk up to me and still quote it. 
against all hope, Abraham hoped. It doesn't make sense. Abraham no, had no reason to believe. It, it, like, it was a hopeless situation that a, a 75-year-old man would, would be the father. An airless man would be the father of a great nation and that all nations would be blessed. It, it was hopeless. It was ludicrous. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet... He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Man, we need to read that again. Like, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. God's go takes faith. Full leaning of our personality, our full leaning of who we are on him. Because there's going to be hopeless situations in this world. There's going to be hopeless situations in your life. And you know what? You can still find hope that God will see you through. No matter what everyone else, no matter what the facts are, no matter what. Like, they're listing facts here. He was as good as dead. His wife's wound was dead. And yet... He did not waver through unbelief. He's continued to believe. Not one thought entered his head of, God, you're not going to do this. Think about that. He never thought that. He says he didn't waver through that. He was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Why? Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. When we're going through stuff, we got to know God has power to do what he's promised. When God issues a go to your life, walk in faith because God has power to do what he's promised. I don't know what your go looks like. We have an overall generalized goal that we're going to a go that we're going to get to. But maybe that go is talk to that lost son or daughter, mom or dad, husband or wife. Maybe that go is to Talk to that coworker. Maybe that goal was to, to give to missions or, or, you know, step out financially and trust in God. I, I don't know what that goal is. But I know that if God's issued a go, he's done his homework on his side. All he requires of us is faith to obey. The next thing I want to look at, God's go takes action. I know this is a little bit redundant because we hit on this in the first point. Um, God's go is a command. God goes takes faith. God's go takes action. But an imperative sentence is a command. A command requires a response. You can say no. That's a response. But that's not action. If you say yes to God's command, there's action required. Now, I want to look at Jesus' little brother, James, in the book of James real quick. It's, you don't have it, but it's James chapter 2, verse 18. And we're, we're going to look at this real quick because it sums up, sums up what action looks like for God. Now, someone may argue 
Some people have faith. Others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. I don't want to go super deep into this, but I want to address a couple things. I want to talk about what he's not talking about. He's not saying our good deeds can earn us favor with Jesus. We are saved by faith and faith alone. Jesus finished work on the cross and his resurrection was enough to save us. So by doing good deeds does not make us more righteous, does not make us gain favor, does not make us more holy, does not make God love us anymore. Because that's all done. If we do good deeds for that purpose, what we're saying to Jesus is, Jesus, you did great on the cross, but I got it from here. It's not wasn't quite enough. And good deeds can look like a lot of different things. Good deeds could look like reading your Bible. If you turn if you turn um, reading your Bible into a checklist, you need to step back and say, okay, why am I reading my Bible? If, if you if you if you turn sharing your faith into a checklist, if you if you turn praying into a checklist, when the tools of discipleship become the rules of discipleship, it's not discipleship. You're trying to earn salvation that Jesus freely paid for. Why would you try to earn something when God wants to give it to you? What he is talking about, though, is when we have faith in Jesus Christ, when we place our faith in him, like we just talked about, the natural overflow of a relationship with Jesus Christ is good deeds. What was going on in the church of Jerusalem when James wrote this letter, because he was a pastor of that church, when he wrote this letter, people were saying, you don't need to do certain things. And he gives us an amazing example. I would encourage you to go read the chapter. But he gives us an amazing example of, he said, if people walked up to you and said, I'm cold and hungry, and you said, Lord Jesus, let them be well fed and warm and sent them on their way. You have all the faith in the world in that prayer, but there's no faith. Without action. In fact, James continues, he, he finishes up this thought. He says, Faith without action is dead. If you want to have faith, put your feet to it, put your action to it. God's go takes action. He says, I will show you my faith by my action. It doesn't do any good to pray for someone's needs if you're not willing to meet their needs. That's what he's getting at. There are times in life, don't get me wrong, that you truly don't have the means to meet needs. And you, all you can do is pray for them. I'm, I understand that completely. When I was in college, there was this Walmart that um, no one told me to avoid. But, like, homeless people and people that looked homeless would go there, and they would ask people for money. They would hustle all the time. And um, all the time... And I can't tell you how much money I gave away because of this verse. <laughs> and there are times where I didn't have money. I said, dude, all I can do is pray for you. I literally have no money. I would tell them, hey, you know what? Let's go up to my college. I could scan you in for a meal because that's all I have. But I didn't want my faith to be actionless. Because if I say I love Jesus and then yet don't love people, John says I lie. First John says, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. How can you love God who you have not seen and yet hate your brother who you have seen? Faith requires action. 
the natural overflow of our relationship with Jesus is good deeds. God's go requires action. If we say we have faith, we got to be about it. We can't just ignore it. We, the, it. How many of you guys ever tried to ignore a problem? It doesn't go away. God's go doesn't go away. It's not a problem. It's actually a privilege. That was a horrible example. But let's move on. <laughs> it's a privilege. But God's go doesn't go away. It's there. He issued it 2,000 years ago, and it still applies to us today. Last thing I want to hit on. God's go is rewarding. God's go is rewarding. I've never once obeyed God and thought, man, that was awful. I'll never do that again. Now, I've ate a Taco Bell and said that. (laughs) I mean, I mean, there are things that I've done and I thought, man, that was awful. I'll never do that again. But obedience to God is rewarding. There is a peace. There is a there, there, I, it's almost indescribable what God does when you obey Him. He builds your faith. He builds your confidence. He builds you so you can continue to step out and trust Him, lean on Him. So the next time He issues a go, you're ready. Abram went. He was rewarded land. He was rewarded this amazing promise that all nations would be blessed through him. Man, Pete, like if you read the life and story of Abram, it's amazing. Man, people just give him stuff. It is awesome because he walked in obedience to God. He had a heart for people. Man, he pleaded with God not to destroy Sodom. And he pleaded because he had a heart for people. And God negotiated with him, like, oh, if you find, you know, 50 righteous, if you find 10. And he, but he obeyed God. And God blessed him because of his obedience. God's go is rewarding. In February, I was, uh, I was mopping the boys bathroom here at church and uh i remember just whenever whenever i i I clean the church or anything like that i i throw in my bluetooth headphones i listen to messages i listen to praise and worship like i'm like man if i'm gonna do something i'm gonna grow doing it especially if it's something i don't like man if i'm mowing the lawn man you'll see me out there mowing praising Jesus. I don't care. Man, I love worshiping God. And I was just mopping along and I'm praying. And then suddenly, just out of nowhere, God says, hey, you need to tell um, she, uh, this girl I know. Um, I went to high school with her. I hadn't talked to her in like eight years. And it's like, you need to tell her that I've been hearing her prayers. That the struggle that they're going through her and her husband, that is, I'm not oblivious to it. That I've seen every tear they've cried. I'm like, all right. Um, God, I haven't talked to her in a while. I mean, she used to be a really good friend of mine, um, but 
You know, I, I try not to like really have really close female friends now. It's a good idea. And so, oh my God, I, I don't know about this. And he's like, also, you need to you need to tell her that I know that they're praying about a job. I'm like, okay, God, now you're getting specific. I can get away with the other stuff because it's pretty general. You know, like, I could say that to anyone it would apply to their life. Now you're saying they're praying about a job and whether they need to move. I'm like, can't really get around that one. And so, um, I, I, I'm like, what? You know, I, whenever I have these moments with God, whenever I have these moments with God, I usually just throw caution to the wind and say, I have nothing to lose. I haven't talked to her in eight years. I probably won't talk to her for another eight years. Who cares? And I know Satan didn't tell me to say this. So um, I just went with it. And I, I messaged her on Facebook and said, hey, you know, I just feel like God wants me to tell you that he sees your prayers. He knows the struggle that you guys are in. And I just gave the generalized answer, sent it. And I kept praying and mopping. And the Holy Spirit was like, uh-uh. That's not what I told you to say. I'm like, I knew you would say that. I'm like, all right, God. I don't care. People think I'm crazy. And I get back on there. I said, and that's not all. I feel like you and your husband have been praying about a job and whether to move. And you have a lot of different opinions coming at you. But God wants you to know that his opinion is the only one that matters and that he hears your prayers. Just keep seeking him, keep trusting him, and that he's going to give direction to this turmoil. He's going to give peace to the storm. Just trust him through it. He's going to open the doors and close the doors that need to be happen, oh, open and closed in your life. And so I sent it and I kept, I finished cleaning the church and I got in my vehicle to leave and she sent me this text and she was like, Ryan, I can't tell you how spot on that was. That's exactly what we've been praying word by word. And I can't tell you how encouraging it is to know that the God that created all things listens to me in the midst of my hurt and my pain when I don't know what to do. And I can't tell you to me how encouraging that was. Sometimes you don't get a response, and it's not about the response. But I can tell you that after I sent the second text, I had peace. And it's almost like God had her respond just to build my faith. I actually went back and read it this week. It was in February because I wanted to make sure I got my story straight. And I got encouraged again. <laughs> Because there's no way I can make it up. It's crazy how rewarding God's go is. You might say, Pastor Ryan, this whole talk capturing the go of God is great. But God hasn't told me to go. He told Abram. That's not true. I could just think of three off the top of my head. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Acts 1. Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptize him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he goes, I'll be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And he says, all power and authority is given to me. Like, it's really encouraging, the Great Commission. I want to focus on Mark's real quick. Because every believer in 
Christ has a go issue to him. Every believer has a go. You are with, not without a go. You have a go for your life. You might not have a specific go, but you have a go given by God himself. And it says, and then he told them, this is Jesus, go into all the world. You go and preach the good news to everyone. Well, I'm not a preacher. That's for all believers. Every believer has a go. You might not ever stand up in front of a group of people holding a mic and speaking to them. And that's okay. You can preach the gospel with your actions in front of your coworkers. You can preach the gospel through the silent prayers that you pray for your lost loved ones that you don't get to speak to. You can preach the gospel by just saying God loves you and has a purpose for your life. Man, you live your life in front of them and God will open the doors. Every day, I, I pray a couple things, but I pray for opportunities to, to live out God's love. I pray for opportunities to share my faith. You know, I've never once been disappointed because when we ask God for those opportunities, he'll give them to us. And he's given us a command to go. It's a command. It's a great commission. It is not an option. All of you guys, when you walked in tonight, you were issued a seed pack. And you're like, this whole time, you're like, maybe they're just trying to get rid of tomatoes. I don't know. <laughs> um, yes, there is that. But here's the deal. Every time we preach the gospel, it doesn't matter. Every time we obey a go of God, it might be to pray. It might be to call someone and just encourage them. It, I don't know what the Holy Spirit might tell you to do. Only you know that. For me, oftentimes, it's send a text when I'm praying in the morning. A lot of the students will tell you, man, I get text messages from Pastor Ryan all the time. Like, man, I hope you have a great day. I was praying for you. I just feel like God's going to see you through. I don't know. If I call your students out by name and God tells me to text them, I'll text them. I don't know what it looks like. But I can tell you every time you obey a go, God is like planting a seed for him. And here's the truth. There's probably 60 seeds in that. You can count the seeds in that packet. I'm not saying do it because they're really tiny and they're hard to grab. Um, but you can count the number of seeds in that seed packet. You can count the you can count the number of seeds in a tomato. You can count the number of seeds in an apple. But here's what you can't do. You cannot count the number of apples in the apple seed. You cannot count the number of tomatoes in a tomato seed. You don't know the impact of the seed you're planting. You don't know what God's going to do with that obedience to his go. So I don't know, maybe you guys want to take these, they're heirloom seeds. So man, you could plant them, harvest your, take the seeds out, plant those seeds. They'll just keep growing for generations to come. They're awesome seeds. But man, I take, and I, I have seeds in my office. I have seeds up in the youth room and I, I have them where I can see them. Because I want to be intentional about planting seeds for the gospel. Put them where you can see them. You know, if you want another seed packet, we have thousands. We'll give you to you. We'll give you some to plant if you want to. Put them where you can see them. Say, I'm going to plant seeds today. I'm going to obey God's go. I'm going to obey God's go. 